Genesis 29. I want to give you a sermon entitled Rachel and Leah, or Leah and Rachel. It should go either way. Rachel and Leah. Genesis 29. We're following the life of Jacob right now in, in the scriptures. Jacob is an important figure in the Old Testament. He, he dominates a large section of it here. And then uh, he'll only be eclipsed by his son Joseph. His son Joseph. Rachel and Leah. Now, just by way of reminder, Jacob went back to his mother's homeland to find a wife. When he got there, he met a girl named Rachel. He fell in love with her. And he arranged to marry her after seven years of labor for her father, kind of uh, working off the dowry. After seven years, uh, Rachel's father gave him her sister Leah. And this, this was not what he wanted. This was not the girl he was expecting to get. And so on their wedding night, after their wedding night, he realizes it's the wrong girl. He's mad about it. And so he says, I want to, I want, he goes to the father-in-law. He complains and he says, give me Rachel. And over a span of time, he receives Rachel. Now, when Jacob arrived in this place called Padanaram, he found the women, Rachel and Leah, who had been his life for a very long time. These two women. These two girls that he receives at Laban's house will become the very best thing that ever happens to him. These wives. Remember, the scripture says, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. So those of you girls who are not yet married, but maybe one day will, I want you to know something. When a man decides to have you as his wife, he's getting a good thing. He's getting a good thing. So don't settle for any kind of polecat you can, you can imagine. You're a good thing. You're worthy of, of a decent guy. Hold out for a decent dude. And if you're here and you're a man, you're not yet married, hold out for a good thing. Hold out for a good girl. And keep in mind that sometimes you might marry somebody who is not the greatest thing since sliced bread. But people grow. People change. Give it time. Give it time. So, Jacob gets these two wives, these two sisters. And because of these two girls, he is going to become the father, almost right off the bat here, of 13 or so children. 13 or so children. And it is through these two women, Rachel and Leah, that God begins to fulfill the promise he made to Jacob that he would have a big family and his children would be many in number and the world would be blessed by his family. That's a promise God made to Abraham. Abraham only had one child. That's a, good, that's a promise God made to Isaac. Isaac only had two children and God only chose one of those children to be the carrier of the promise. But then you have Jacob, and here it finally gets in high gear. They go from not one kid, not two kids, but to a dozen. A dozen. Valerie and I have had five children, and I just want to say that that's a lot. Of, that, that, that's a lot. But they had six, and then seven, and eight, and now they have a whole pile of kids here, 13 or so. Jacob. So now things are really going quickly. If, if Jacob had looked at his father's life and his grandfather's life and said, where's the promise of God in their life? It's so small. He now is in his own life. He can see he's having the gains. God is blessing him. And these two girls, they are a part of the, the blessing. 
But these two girls, let's not forget that they were individuals. They were persons. They had personal struggles in their own. Struggles in their own life. And let's, let's remember, struggles are a part of life. Struggles are a part of life. And the struggles that we go through are what develops our faith and what develops our character. Struggles are what cause us to develop muscles that give us strength. They give us strength. So let's look first at Leah. Leah becomes the wife of Jacob. She's not the wife he wanted, but he's the wife she, he got. Martin Luther points out here that Rachel took part in the deception of Jacob. Laban decided he was not going to give Jacob the girl he promised. He's going to give him the other girl. And he sneaks her in there, puts a veil on her, maybe put on one of Rachel's dresses and sent her in. And she could have said at any time, I am not Rachel, couldn't she? At any time she could have said it, but she didn't. To quote James Barnes from back in Arkansas, she kept her mouth shut. (laughs) She never let on that she was not Rachel. So she took part in this deceit. And there are consequences to these deceptions, aren't there? Jacob deceived. He's been suffering the consequences of his deception. And now Leah is going to suffer the consequences of her deception. Look at chapter 29, verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Why was Leah the hated one? Leah was the hated one because she had taken the place of Rachel. Leah was the hated one because she was part of the deception. Leah was not the one he wanted. So God does something, however. He gives her children. He gives her children. Jacob didn't love her. He didn't care for her. But he has her as his wife. Now, my friends, to be hated by your spouse, that must be the worst pain imaginable. That's got to be the worst. I mean, your, kid, your kids can turn on you and hate you, and that's painful. That, that hurts. But having the other half of your, your being say, I hate you, that's got to be really hard. I've never known that. Some of you, I think, probably have known that in your lives, where the person who you're married to has turned against you in such horrible and vicious ways. It can happen. It's, it's a deep-seated pain. And here is Leah living with this hostility, with this animosity towards her. And the Lord looks down at her miserable condition, and he has pity on her. One may say, well, why is Jacob having babies with a woman that he doesn't love? Let me ask you a question. Do you think that there are any people having babies with people they don't love around today? (laughs) It's happening. But in this culture in which Jacob lives, children are the main commodity. They have to have children. That's why polygamy was such a, 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 a big role in their cultures, is they had to have lots of children. They, had, they needed the kids to, to take care of the family properties, to take care of the herds. They needed the offspring. That's why daughters at that time in history were very, very valuable. Because it takes a man and a woman to have a child. And if you don't have any women, there ain't no children. So she's living in this, and God, God says, okay, I'm going to bless her. And so as her and Jacob come together, she is his only wife for a span of time. As they come together, she is able to conceive children. She has children. 
And the Bible tells us here in chapter 29, verses 31 to 35, that she has four sons right off the bat. Four sons. In verse 32, she has Reuben. In verse 33, she has Simeon. In verse 34, she has Levi. In verse 35, she has Judah. And these four sons are kind of the dominant characters of all of the Old Testament. These sons produce incredible people. It's Levi who is the great-great-grandfather of Moses. Of Moses, the lawgiver. Moses' name appears more in the Bible than nearly every other character. A dominant person. And then you have Judah. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of what? Of Judah. It is through Leah that these two great characters come. Leah. In the midst of her struggles, God blesses her. In the midst of the struggle, God blesses her. My friends, if you're going through a struggle today, I want you to know that there can be blessings while you are struggling. Have you ever been at work and you're, man, you're working and you're sweating and you're just, it's just very, just a very hard task and the sweat's running down your brow, your shirt's sticking to your body, you can, you can feel it, it's very hot and very uncomfortable, and then all of a sudden you stand up to take a breath and feel a breeze come sweeping across the workplace. You're like, oh, that feels so good. Or some other kind of blessing. Maybe you're at your job, and then the boss is yelling at you, everybody's mad at you, but then a customer comes in and says, you know what, the only reason I come here is because of you. Some kind of blessing. There are blessings in the midst of struggles, and a blessing that comes in the middle of a struggle is more appreciated than a blessing in good times. You know, getting the check in the mail when your bank account's full is nice, Amen. Getting the check in the mail when your bank account is empty is nicer. <laughs> Much nicer. God blesses her in the midst of her struggle. You may say, I'm going through a struggle right now, but I'm not sure God is blessing me. I'm not sure God is with me. My friend, he is with you, and there are blessings along the way. And I want you to look at these sons that Leah has. She has these four sons. In verse 32, I told you already, she's, she's prayed. She's called out to the Lord. I want to have children. She wants to be in connection with her husband. She wants to have fellowship with him more than just a conjugal. In verse 32, she has this son named Reuben. It means a son, a son. I want you to notice in verse 32 who she gives the credit to. Listen to the reading. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, will my husband love me. Now, the Lord, now she uses the covenant name for the Lord. It's all capital letters in our translation, but the Hebrew is Yahweh. That's the covenant name. That's the name you use for God when you're in relationship with him. Yahweh. This is her God. This is the God she's prayed to. And the God has heard her prayer and given her a son. She seems to have come to know the Lord. And my friends, I want to say this to you. It is in the midst of hard times and struggles that many people come to know the Lord. It's when you're down and out, down for the count, going down, when you realize, I need God. I need the Lord in my life. I need Jesus to be my Savior and Master. In verse 33, she has a son. She names him Simeon. She knows. Look at the reading there, verse 33. 
And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Behold, the Lord hath heard that I was hated. He hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, which means heard. The Lord has heard her prayer. He has heard the burden of her heart. And the Lord has come. The Lord has come and given her a child. And now maybe Jacob will love her. Now Jacob will take me to him in affection. In verse 34, she has yet another son. She conceived again. She has a son named Levi. His name means attached. Attached. And here, look, listen to the reading here. This, these are the words of a woman whose husband doesn't care about her hardly at all. Listen to what she says. Now, verse 34, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. This joining here is more than the conjugal joining. She's, she's longing for that friendship that can exist and ought to exist between a man and a wife where they are friends, where they are beloved one to another, where they're buddies, where they're pals, where they're confidants. Now I have these three sons. Now maybe I will be attached to my husband. She just wants to be loved by her husband. And then in verse 35, she conceived again and bare a son. Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and she left bearing. She stopped having children for a time. Judah. The word Judah means praise. Praise. You see, what I think has happened is something happened between Levi and Judah is that Jacob began to love her. He began to see, this is a good woman. She didn't come into my life in the way I wish she had of. She was the one that I would have chosen, but she is a blessing to me. She is my beloved. And she's giving praise now. She's been saying, I want my husband to love me. I want my husband to care for me. I want to be attached to him. I want to be clinging to him. And now she names her child Praise. Because the Lord has heard that prayer. My friends, sometimes the prayers that you and I are praying take a very long time to get answered. It takes a long time. I've been praying about some things longer than I care to admit. And, I can, you know, somebody may say, well, your prayer would be answered more quickly, sooner, if you had great faith. <laughs> friends, I want you to know something. Sometimes my faith wouldn't fill a thimble. But I keep on trusting in the Lord. Trusting in him. Praying for a long time about something. Now she's finally had the answer to her praise. Her prayer. And she calls him praise. Praise. Every time she calls his name, Judah. Who made the change in Jacob's attitude towards Leah? Who made the change? God did. Well, why didn't God do it sooner? You ever had that question? How come God hadn't done, done it? How come he didn't do it sooner? How come these changes aren't taking place more rapidly? Why didn't God just zap Jacob and make him love her? It's because God was working in Leah's life and in Jacob's life. He was making Leah into a vessel of honor, into a person of faith and trust in God, and that takes time. You don't make great Christians overnight. You don't make, make great women and men overnight. It takes time. And God let Leah go through the crucible of struggle. 
before she had the fulfillment of her prayer. This is God's plan. One, one writer says this about the Lord. God never hurries and he's never late. <laughs> it's always in his timing. Always in his timing. Always in his timing. God has all power. And we need to walk forward by faith, trusting in him. Because with that same power, the Lord saves us. And that's such a wonderful blessing, isn't it? To be, a, be saved, to have all your sins forgiven, to be justified once and forever. To have the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself on you. That you are counted among the holy. God saves us, but he also sustains us. He keeps us going, meeting our needs day after day, moment by moment. And that's Leah. Now let's look at Rachel. Rachel is a pretty girl. Jacob saw her and was smitten by her. And Leah, the Bible calls Leah tender-eyed, which seems to indicate that she was less attractive or had some kind of oddity about her that causes her to not be as attractive as Rachel. Rachel's pretty. Leah's less pretty. It was Rachel who Jacob wanted. Rachel is the one about whom Jacob said, I will give seven years of my life to have that girl. Seven years. Remember, I illustrated how long ago seven years was. Seven years is, you say, well, it's only seven years. I used to watch these, uh, these shows, you know, and somebody would get five years in prison. They go, well, only, only five years in prison. Only five years in prison? I want you to go home today, lock yourself in your closet for an hour. <laughs> Turn the light on and just, you know, <laughs> see if you like it in there. <laughs> When I was a chaplain volunteer at the Douglas County Jail in Lawrence, Kansas, they had to go through uh, chaplain training, and they said part of this is you have to kind of know what the inmates are going through. And I, you know, I'd, I'd heard all the stories: prisons, a cakewalk, it, yeah, being in jail. There's it's color TV. It's you know whatever you want. It's well, I don't know what where that comes from, <laughs> but they took me into the Douglas County Jail. They took us into medium security. We walk through this common area, and there's a guard at a desk, and the, and the, the, the main chaplain, he, he made a motion at the guy. He opened a door, this big old thick door, slid back into the wall, clung. And he said, now you've got to sit in there all by yourself for 15 minutes, and in 15 minutes we'll come and let you out. I had no Bible. I had, I'd have, back then I didn't even have a cell phone. You know, it's back when life was good, Amen. <laughs> I went in there and sat down, and the little bed was just, was just a concrete slab, basically, lifted up off the floor. Had a vinyl-covered foam mattress laying on the little, just wasn't very thick. It had a, a shiny steel mirror, not even a real mirror, just a shiny piece of steel on the wall and a sink and then a commode that wasn't too commodious. <laughs> and they said, stay in there, 15 minutes, we'll be back to get you, friends. I made some life decisions in those moments. Number one was, I don't want to ever get locked up. <laughs> I don't want to go to jail for five years or three years. It wasn't like it was on TV. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't bars to look through and hand stuff to, you know, down the way. It was a, a solid door. There was no Morris coating. <laughs> There's no window to look out of. Jail is bad. Jail is bad. Seven years. 
Seven years is a long time. And Jacob says, I'll give seven years for Rachel. How much time did Jacob offer for Leah? He knew, he saw the two daughters. He made no offer for her. None at all. He, Rachel. Rachel's the one I want. Now a person may look at Rachel because she's so pretty, seems to have everything together. You could look at someone like that and say, I wish I was her. I wish I was her. My friends, we got we to guard against this. Dr. Albert Moeller at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he says that preachers have to battle envy maybe more than anybody because they have a thing called product envy. Product envy. Because sometimes a pastor, he'll preach a sermon and everybody wants to hear it. And so they come to hear it. He sees lots of people saved, lots of things going on. Big church, growing church. But that's not always what everybody gets. There's a guy out in, uh, he was a pastor in St. Louis. Uh, I think his name was Dan Patrick. Pastor of a very large church in St. Louis. Thriving ministry. Thousands of people coming every week. You know what, you know what Dan Patrick did about, I think it was three years ago now. Big news when it happened. He was out shooting with one of his friends. They're shooting, shooting handguns. Just having fun. And the pressures of his life in ministry were so much that he decided to shoot himself right there at the gun range. Took his own life. Why do you think every, he had everything going for him? Successful pastor, author, you know, tons of money, wife and kids and family, but takes his own life. I mean, you have to be careful. We can get envious of other people. We don't know what's going on in other people's lives. And here is Rachel. You may say, well, I wish I was her. I wish I had her looks. Leah may be looking at her going, I wish I was like Rachel. I wish I had her attitude and temperament and looks. I wish I had that. But Rachel has her own burdens. Rachel has her own struggles. Her burden is that in a world where women are, women's value is connected directly to their ability to have children, Rachel cannot have a child. As she watches her sister have baby one, baby two, baby three, baby four. And then she's having no children. It's, it's burdensome to her. She wants a child. She can't have one. Look at chapter 30, verse number one. When Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. She's envious of her sister. Her relationship with her sister is now going to be damaged. Envy. Envy destroys. Envy tears and ruins. Now, I want you to know something about Rachel here. This is, this is I think it's noteworthy. Leah goes to God and says, give me a child. Look at verse 1 and tell me who Rachel goes to and says, give me a child. She says unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. She goes to Jacob. Why doesn't she go to God? She goes to Jacob. You see, when she's mad at Jacob, and Jacob in verse 2, and Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel because she's attacking him saying, you've got to give me a kid. It's your fault. That's what we do, isn't it? We, blame, we lay blame. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. Well, sometimes it's not your fault or my fault. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. It's just life. 
just part of God's providential workings. Rachel prays to Jacob. And she says, give me children. Jacob says, I can't do this. My friends, I want to caution you. Sometimes in our lives as Christians, instead of turning to God, we turn to man. We take our burdens to our friends and neighbors when sometimes those burdens can only be handled or taken care of by God. Look at Psalms 142. Listen listen to the psalmist words here. Psalm 142. This is a prayer. The title says this is when David was in a cave running for his life. He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path and the way wherein I walked. They have privily laid a snare for me. Now here, here's what he did though first, I think, verse 4. I looked on my right hand and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee. Because you're my portion. You're my Lord. You're my God. I'm going to tell you something, friends. Your complaints should be given most of the time to God. Because only God can handle them the right way. You ever, you ever complain to somebody only to be rebuffed, yelled at, belittled, mocked? <laughs> you're complaining to them and they have no understanding, no concern. Well, my friends... When you go to God, you don't ever get that kind of treatment, do you? God never says, what's wrong with you? Won't you grow up? God never says that. Psalms 113 says he remembers our frame. He knows we are dust. He knows what we're made of. Take your complaints to him. Rachel goes to Jacob because Jacob is there. And that's what we do. We'll get on the Facebook. We'll get on the phone and say, because those people are really there. My friends, God is there too. God is just as present here as you are. He's here. He's everywhere. And he hears the prayers of his people. Jacob's response here is important because he says, hey, this is not me. This is God. You see, Jacob knows it is the Lord's doing. Am I, he says in verse 3, am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? Jacob knows this is the Lord's doing. He knows that he knows God. But it doesn't look to me like Rachel knows God yet. But this struggle she's going to go through is going to cause her to know God. Rachel has a, she has a child in verse 6, but it's not her child. What she does, in, the, in that world, in that culture, if a woman couldn't have her own children, she would get another woman to have a child to, to take her husband, maybe marry him. That's what it says in verse 4. She gave Bilhah, her handmaid, to Jacob as a wife. And whatever children are born from that relationship, they are adopted by Rachel. They're viewed as her children. And that's what happens. She decides, since she can't have a kid, she's going to give Bilhah, her handmaid, her servant, to be a surrogate. In verse 5, Bilhah conceives. She bears a son. And I want you to notice the word here. Rachel says, God hath judged me 
and hath also heard my voice. She, she talks about God. But she doesn't use the covenant name for God, Yahweh. She uses Elohim, a, a different word. And then when she has her own child in verse 24, in verse 22, and God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my, my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord, the Yahweh, shall add to me another son. Something takes place in her life, I think. Sometimes it takes a struggle to see a person come to faith in God. Sometimes it takes a struggle to cause a person to begin to live by faith. Rachel and Leah, two sisters, they have blessings and struggles. Both of these women face struggles, and they both are ultimately consoled because of the grace of God at work in their lives. Their lives are difficult, but their lives are a part of the great story of the gospel. What is striking to me here is that these imperfect people are used by God to bring somebody wonderful into the world. These imperfect people are used by God to bring into the world the perfect son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is a descendant of Jacob through his mother. Through his mother. It is through the wombs of women like these. Specifically, it's through the womb of Leah, through the tribe of Judah, that comes our precious Lord and Savior. And I want you to know something, friends. You and I are also imperfect. But it is you and I in our imperfections who are also bringing Christ into the world. You say, how am I bringing Christ into the world? First of all, it's by your life. You're living with people and before people. You're showing them Jesus in your life. You're not showing them a perfect Jesus, are you? When you, when you do the unchristian thing... <laughs> We say, I'm sorry, I'm not being much like Jesus. And we, they, we, we, we bring a Christian ethic into the world, and when we fail, we tell people, that's just a sign that I, I don't have any righteousness of my own. I'm not getting to heaven by my, my works, I'm getting to heaven by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. We bring Jesus into the world by our voices, by telling people about Jesus. By speaking a word of the gospel. I was talking to a person this morning here in this house of worship about something that took place at their home this morning and how they said a very small word. And it seemed like that word had some kind of impact on the person they were talking to. And that's how God works. With our voices saying small things, talking about the Lord. Then we're bringing Jesus into the world by our faith in him. Our faith in God is an example to others. Our faith in God. How we are trusting in Him. We're modeling it for other people. Those of us who've been saved a long time, we're trying to trust in the Lord. And those who are watching us, our children, they're watching us trust in the Lord. And you know what, friends? It all, it, it'd be great if all of us who are Christians and have kids, if we could kind of be a little transparent about the way we feel about things. We don't quite know what God's doing, but we're trusting Him to do it. <laughs> we, don't know how, we don't know how this ride's going to end, but we're trusting the Lord to drive us all the way there. Trusting in the Lord. What's your faith in this morning? Is your faith in God or man? 
Is your, is your faith like Leah, looking to the Lord, give me a child? Or has your faith been shifted over to Jacob? <laughs> Jacob, give me a kid. The man cannot do it. Don't put your faith in man. Put your faith in God. You see, God does see you and can hear you. But man, he cannot always see you. But worse than that, man won't always hear you. They turn their ears. You ever, you ever, you ever had a kid, you're trying to tell them something, and they, and they, turn, they, they, turn, they, they turn the switch off? They won't listen? And even when you're down there yelling at them, arr, 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 they just ignore you. That's how man can be towards his fellow man. Don't put your faith in man. Put your faith in God. God can see you, and he can hear you. Listen to this reading from Psalms 116, verses 1 and 2, and we'll close with this, all right? Psalms 116, verses 1 and 2. David says, well, it's not David, it's, it's uh, somebody later. But the scripture says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear to me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. I love the Lord because he's heard me. My friends, he's heard you. He heard you when you called upon him to save you and give you everlasting life. He heard your call. He saved you. And he's heard every call to him you've ever made. Every time you ever said, oh, Lord, God, help me. He's heard all those prayers. Even when you haven't known you're praying, he's heard. He's there. I love the Lord because he heard my prayer and inclined his ear unto me. Therefore, will I call upon him as long as I live. May God bless his word to our hearts. Might be scattered, scattered around.